All right, welcome back to the 24 Podcast. Uh, we're excited today to be able to have a special guest with us again, Jack Zola. How are you doing, Jack? Great, Josh. Thanks again for uh, having me on. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun last time. Hey, not a problem. Yeah, we definitely enjoyed it. And I know that Mark talked about your accent and that he, he loved your New York accent. And so... <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It, it's either one of those things where... I think you, you know, people love it or they hate it. You know, it's kind of like a lot of accents in, uh, I, I have a couple of, uh, fans of, uh, friends that are fans of the, the Yankees. And I'll, I'll tell you that they're not fans of Boston accents. So I guess it, <laughs> it's, uh, whoever you find has a, uh, you know, different like or dislike for accents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so it's uh, definitely good to be able to uh, have you on here. And so we're going to have kind of a, a mini conglomeration of things here. We have some news things that we're going to cover that have uh, sprang up uh, here in the last week or so. And then um, uh, we're going to finish up uh, kind of wrapping up season four, just kind of doing some overview. And then we're going to start to gear our minds toward season five a little bit. And so... Um, several different things here. So kind of help us transition. And so um, definitely want to get kind of your perspective. So what are some of the things that uh, you thought about season four, some of the highlights that you'd like to mention? Yeah, sure. Uh, right. Just right before we, we start uh, talking about that, just as a, a fan of the podcast, a listener, and uh, now a, a two-time guest host, I just wanted to say congratulations to you and and Mark, uh, and, and also to Joel, because, uh, you know, I was listening to last week's, and the work that you put into this has now gotten the viewers, uh, the the um, listenership up to thousands of people in all these different countries. So I, I was blown away by when I heard all the different countries you guys are in. So I just wanted to say congrats, and that, that was awesome. Yeah, thank you. It is awesome. It, it's pretty cool just uh, being able to sit back and be able to see all that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I wrote down some notes about season four and uh, just a couple of bullet points I have. The, the first one that I that I, I, I wanted to talk about was um, each each season usually isn't contained to just like, like one major terrorist threat. There, of course, can be one or two, um, you know, with many ones sprinkled in there. But season four was just crazy with how many major terrorist threats there were and and, and I thought that was kind of the the uh, the overriding uh, thought for me for this season I mean I, I, I counted five major uh, threats you had the train bombing you had the mm -hmm. kidnapping and the near execution of the Secretary of Defense you had the nu nuclear meltdowns the power plants number four you had Air Force One being shot down with the president incapacitated. And number five was the uh, nuclear football, uh, you know, with the and then getting the codes for the warhead missile. I mean, I I don't think there's a another season where they packed that that many large threats into one season. So I kind of I kind of found that interesting. Like as as the series started, you know, it started with a very personal contained season one where it was the kidnapping of the main character's family, and then the assassination attempt on a senator, not even the president, on a senator. And then, you know, season two, yes, there was uh, the bomb and then the recording, 
season three started to get up there where it was a virus that could be, you know, spread very easily throughout uh, cities upon cities. And then you get to season four, and I think they just, you know, I, I think the writers have a, have a mission where they just want to keep keep trying to top themselves, you know, when, when they come up with shooting down Air Force One and, you know, coming up with all these um, huge threats. So I, I thought that was probably the biggest takeaway um, that that I saw from season four. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree with that. And uh, one thing, too, I had read somewhere, I never really thought of it till I read it, um, but throughout season four, there's uh, one primary um, terrorist that's in control of it all. Whereas you look at some of the other seasons, it's kind of like you see all these other um, ones. And uh, like you think about season one, you have um, a couple different stages. And I mean, kind of overall, there's kind of the, the one that's kind of behind it all. But you don't find that out until later. Uh, whereas in season four, pretty much through the whole thing, you know that it's um, Marwan that's behind it. And he goes right right down to the end. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that, 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 that's an excellent point. I think I was reading on some uh, some 24 fan website where the, uh, the or maybe it was that Wikipedia site for 24, the, the average episode debut of the main, um, the main villain, the architect of everything, as you said, was always later in the season. It, 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 it was usually around like episode 16, 17, like around there. And, and, and you're right, we... I think we met Marwan in, I don't remember what you guys said, but it was, it was much earlier on. So that, that was also kind of an interesting thing where you, you kind of got to know the main villain a little bit more than the other ones. And like even more so than a Victor Drazen or uh, Stephen Saunders, where you almost kind of wanted Jack to beat him even more so, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, and then, Josh, just uh, um, two other uh, main points I had about season four was, you know, you guys talked about it. A lot of new characters were brought in, and I know every season a lot of different CTU technicians and little, you know, villain henchmen are brought in. But I'm talking about mainstays in the series were introduced in this um, season, which was interesting. It was kind right. of not a reboot, of course, but it was like season one introduced, you know, the the Tony and Jack and um, Palmer and Aaron Pierce and Mike Novick. And those guys kind of carried over for, 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 you know, the first three seasons and, of course, a little bit into the fourth. But with Edgar, Audrey, James Heller, Curtis Manning, Bill Buchanan, Charles Logan and um, Chang Chi, I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Chang, um, those are seven, you know, characters that have huge uh, implications in the show, and uh, I kind of found that interesting. Um, and the other thing was, of course, it was nice to see some of our favorites return. Uh, wh when I started watching season four, uh, I, I watched it on DVD, and you know, I saw how it started off. There was no Michelle. We knew Tony was kind of disgraced and, you know, from government work and pardoned and all that. Palmer was, of course, not the president. There was no Aaron Pierce or, um, well, there was no Mike Novick in season three because Wayne Palmer was the chief of staff, but um, no Kim Bauer. So, so seeing all these main characters not appear until 
Um, you know, besides Tony, who appeared in, like, I think, episode seven, all the other ones were kind of halfway through the season. It, it definitely had a different, it definitely, season four definitely had a different feel about it than the first three. Yeah, I think so, too, but I think it was good. I think it was a way to be able to kind of merge the old with the new yeah. and kind of set the stage for moving forward. Yeah, definitely. It, it was definitely nice to, quote-unquote, hand the the torch off to, you know, you're going to be seeing a lot more Bill Buchanan and Curtis and Audrey in the, you know, uh, the the forthcoming seasons rather than the Michelles and the Tonys. Right. Yeah, so, so that was kind of my uh, that was kind of uh, my, my my take on on season four, which of course, uh, like all the other seasons, I enjoyed. Uh, I I wouldn't say it's at the top of my um, at the top of my favorite seasons. I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle. But the the last point uh, about season four that I wanted to talk about was. When they faked Jack's death, um, I I thought about it and I said the way he walked off into the sunset, you know, presumed dead, all his enemies would think he's dead, so no one can chase him anymore. If they and I, I'm happy they did in the series at that point, of course, but if they wanted to, I and they already used that, so they can't reuse it again and like live another day or something. But I, I thought about. That is pretty much the ideal way that I thought about the series ending because there is no there is no happy ending for Jack. There is no he could it ends with him, uh, you know, playing with his granddaughter. I mean, he's always going to have enemies. He's this is the line of work that he chose. And the, the, the way they ended season four, I thought to myself, wow, that would be a really cool way to end the series. Um, but of course, they went in the direction of. Set, setting it up for an awesome start to season five, which is um, season five is, is my favorite season. So I I just thought that the Jack uh, faking death scenario um, was something that they could have used in the end, but more so they had better uh, you know better vision uh, than than I would have, and they used it to really launch themselves into uh, an insane season five. Yeah, definitely. And we'll definitely get that um here in just a little bit as far as the setup. Yeah. Um and all that. But yeah, there it was definitely a great way to be able to end. Um and the thing that I liked was is you have these main characters that um that we have grown to love. And so I mean there's um the ones that were assisting him, there's Palmer and Chloe and Michelle and Tony that are all assisting him. And these are the characters that we have grown to love. I mean, Chloe didn't come in until season three, but the others were in there from from before, and we had grown to love them. Right. Um. In, in that, and so, and then we could see the uh, tie that they had, the jag, and the loyalty that yeah. they had, even though they had differences, they had disagreements and things like that. There was that loyalty that was still there, and then Chloe. Um. Just over these two seasons, you can see her loyalty grow. Um, to Jack to where at the beginning of season three, she wasn't so sure about him because he was always on edge and always um, blowing up and different things like that. And um, there wasn't a really good relationship at that point. Uh, but then by the time you get to the end of season three and then we get into the beginning of season four, we can see that there is a relationship and a trust that's being built um, to the point to where Chloe 
um, is going behind Driscoll's back and assisting Jack in quote unquote illegal things. Um, and so, and she, and she's okay with that because she knows that Jack's right. She can trust Jack. She, uh, trusts his judgment and the things that he's going to do. And then, um, and then by the time we get to the end of the season or the end of the series, yeah, the season, um, then we definitely see that there's a very strong tie. And then, um, um, as we talk about the, the prequel and in the season five, the, the bond is sealed even more between them. Yeah. Yeah, I I think the writers the writers definitely knew thinking ahead. They knew that, or I think eventually, you know how these writers are with killing off main characters. I I feel they definitely thought, you know, Palmer, Michelle, and Tony. Maybe they didn't know right away that all three were going to die at some point, but they, they knew they could very well kill off all three of them. And with season four just being Chloe's second season, I I think they used her being included in that faking the death inner circle to, 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 like you said, cement her place as that uh, next ally um, and trusted confidant of Jack, because y- you know how they are. They killed Mason, they killed Chappelle, they killed even Terry, uh, that Jack would need another friend. And, you know, Bill, Bill who ended up being a trusted friend of Jack and, and a, one of my favorite characters, Bill, before that faking the death, Bill was just in that in that season for maybe nine or ten episodes, so you really couldn't trust him yet, and I think that's when they felt they had to cement Chloe's place with Jack. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, of course, um, as you see Bill, and as he interacts with Tony, Michelle, and Jack and the others— he he doesn't have quite the same feel that the other directors have had, I don't think. Um, because a lot of the other ones that would come in from division and all that kind of stuff, they would come in and it's like I don't care about you or what or, or what you say or anything like that. I'm just going to do it my way and and all that. Bill uh, had a little bit of that because he knew he was the one in charge and he, that's what he thought was right. But at the same time, he wanted to try to do right by Jack because he was seeing, seeing the things that um, he was doing and the accomplishments that he was making, even though everything wasn't by the book, yeah. which, uh, which he wanted to try to hold to because I mean, he's from the vision. And so they're a lot more by the book, Yeah. but he was seeing that, Hey, in the, in the course of action, Sometimes you can't do that because there is a, a pending threat that's going to go off here in two hours or whatever. And so you got to do something. And so he was uh, he seemed to adapt to Jack's methodology, if you will, um, a little easier, I think, than any of the other ones have. Yeah, my uh, you know, I, I referenced in my first podcast with you guys, my friend Dan, who got me into the show. And when, when Dan and I, uh, we always would recap after um, if, we, if we weren't watching an episode together. And we always said to ourselves, if a CT director came in and just listened to Jack and did, you know, what he wanted to do and helped him out, gave him the resources, the guy would just, the guy or girl would just have the best career ever. And they would, you know, be there a long time. We always said they'd be the government employee of the year. <laughs> And, yeah, <laughs> and and to your point, and to and to what I'm saying now, Bill finally did that. Uh, you know, he didn't just say, "Okay, go do whatever you want." He, of course, 
monitor the situation and was try to, you know, he was trying to keep apprised a of the whole um, workings of CTU and all its agents. But you're right. He saw what Jack did. He knows the guy gets results, even though it's not in the most by the book or ideal way. But he, I think they finally, they wanted to change up the CTU director because it, not that it was getting old, but it was getting tried a little tried out you know the Aaron Driscoll Mason to begin Chappelle to begin um from season one Alberta Green um mm -hmm. all, all of these uh directors would would always have a resistance against Jack and it was finally refreshing to see somebody else yeah definitely that's so, all it, I for season four okay yeah so I mean there's a lot of great stuff in there and so um, and we covered a lot of it through the last couple of weeks, but that's definitely a very good uh, summary and definitely good points. And we definitely want to leave it open for any of you that are listening um, to be able to share your favorites as well. So you can go to the 24 podcast.com and you can be able to leave us your comments there and let us know some of your favorite things. And so you can be able to uh, leave that in the show notes and you can be able to um, uh, do that for us. And we would definitely appreciate that. And, um, there's been plenty of times when uh, even you can share over Twitter, Twitter, excuse me, and uh, we love sharing those on the podcast as well. And so definitely leave it open for you. Yeah. So that kind of transitions us then into um, setting up for season five. And in doing that, uh, there was a prequel that was created to kind of bridge that gap. And so, and so, uh, you you had mentioned that to me. So why don't you go ahead and kind of uh, tell us a little bit about that, and then uh, and then we'll talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, first on the prequels, I think, um, and I know you guys had mentioned it the last time the season four prequel, which was when Jack was in Driscoll's office and he used the word that is not for a family friendly podcast. Um, but I I do believe that was the first time that the show did a prequel and I thought that was great because whenever I was anticipating the release of the DVDs not only to to rewatch the season but I always knew there was going to be a great prequel you know usually only last five to eight minutes but it's something to hold you over for those next five months or so when the next season would debut and they were able to do that of course when they had a contract you know they weren't able to do that for um, after season eight, because no one knew they would be coming back with Live Another Day. But the um, the season five prequel, um, which uh, I think Josh is going to try to put up on, on the website, I found it actually on YouTube. It's about a seven and a half minute clip. And the setup is it takes place 12 months after season four ends. So it's 12 months after the faking of Jack's death. And they also said... Um, 24 Wikipedia said it's six months prior to season five. So it's six months before the Palmer assassination and all that other crazy stuff happens. Michelle's car bomb death. It picks up in Chicago, Illinois with um, Jack just gets out of a car. You kind of see him walking around. He has a hood on to conceal his identity. He's kind of walking around like a shady character. He's got long hair, a little bit of a goatee going on. And um, eventually, you see Chloe walking around this. It looks like um, it looks like a construction parking lot or a construction zone. Um, out of nowhere, 
a figure grabs Chloe, covers her mouth, and brings her into this alleyway, and it's revealed to be uh, to be Jack. And uh, the dialogue between the two goes on to 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 show that Chloe requested to meet Jack in person because it's too risky over the phone or anything because he's supposed to be dead. Jack, of course, is annoyed about this because he never wants to, I mean, not by choice, but he never wants to see anybody again that he knows because he wants to keep his cover intact. But Chloe says that she saw uh, somebody remotely hack into Jack's fake autopsy in, in her computer system. And she says that the person was good it was too fast that she wasn't able to put up a firewall to block the person getting into these reports. And, you know, Jack goes on to question her, of course, saying, I thought you deleted everything. And she says, I did delete all the files. And uh, with them seeing that the autopsy is fake, that obviously sets up the idea that somebody, we don't know who yet, uh, we do find them out in season five, that somebody has found out that Jack is still alive. And um, and that's how they queue up season five. Um, as uh, as Jack sends Chloe away, saying, "All right, you know, for, uh, don't don't contact me. I'll go into hiding. I'll take extra precautions uh, with this stuff." Um, he 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 calls uh, Chloe um, back just for a quick second as she's walking away, and Jack asks about Kim. You know, it's been a year since his apparent death, and. She, she just wanted to check in on, on Kim. So I thought that was a nice touch that the writers threw in there. It was only like one sentence, but it kind of showed you that, of course, what is the most important thing that Jack wishes he was able to do while he was quote-unquote dead is be able to check in on his daughter. So Chloe says that she had a hard time with it and that she's doing a little bit better after one year. So Chloe walks away, and then Jack uh, puts the hood back on and starts walking to his car. When he sees a motorcycle, a black motorcycle with uh, uh, a person on it, I, I, I guess you can't tell if it's a man or a woman, a person on it with all black clothing and a black tinted helmet. Um, the motorcycle passes Jack, then loops around and kind of does like a standoff with him and starts revving the engine. I, I of course, thought this was going to be, oh, when, you know, the motorcyclist pulls out the machine gun and that, that happens. But then out of nowhere... A black car, it's like a black BMW or something like that, uh, swerves out of this adjacent intersection and starts gunning for Jack. As, as the car is going in the forward direction, right at Jack's front of his car, he has to start going backwards so the car doesn't crash into him. And a uh, fans, you got to uh, check it out if you haven't seen it or just refresh your memory because it's a really well-done scene. You know how much work these writers and producers put into this for a seven-minute clip. You know, so much, so many stunt actors, I'm sure, were used, and, and it was a really cool um, a really cool set with all these props they were using. So uh, this uh, race ensues with, once Jack is able to turn his car around, the, the black BMW is following him. They're swerving all over um, these uh, streets in Chicago, and Jack drives into i'm not sure if it's the same i guess it can't be the same construction uh lot as he met chloe in, but it, it's another construction lot and jack turns because he was going to drive into this uh, forklift but i guess the black bmw loses control and sl and slams into this forklift and you could see the two um i don't know what they're called i guess prongs the two prongs that lift um you know heavy items up and down in the forklift 
one of them goes into the driver's side window, presumably impaling the driver, because the person doesn't, uh, you know, get out of the car or move the car anymore. So, uh, content with that he that he killed, that the person um, was killed, Jack just drives away. And then you see this motorcyclist, again, come up from the back of the street, and you kind of are on the same level as the motorcyclist view, watching Jack uh, drive away. So I, I just thought, um, oh, and then they also had just a little um, a, a little blurb afterwards. Uh, and it's so cool. Typical, uh, terrific writing by uh, the 24 crew. It says, he disappeared to protect his secret. He changed his name and started a new life. He thought he was safe. Then day five began. And I just thought that it, it was a really cool prequel. It got you thinking. It got you, uh, you know, something to hold over until season five debuted in, in January. Um, actually, I, I, I take that back. It's not five months. I think the DVDs were always released around November. And if the new season started in January, I guess it was about two months you, you had to wait. But it, it was just something nice that the writers do, did for their fans. I'm not sure if any other show... Um, does something like this and it just got you thinking i mean we'll never know who that dead driver in the bmw is but and 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 i guess they they never really tell you either who that motorcyclist is it would be really cool if you know the guys like you know we talk about on twitter like david fury or something like that is able to to tell us but i mean the guy on the the motorcyclist josh you think it could be um i mean it, it you know, spoiler alert, we know who the villains are in, in, in the fifth season. I guess it had to be someone working for Christopher Henderson and uh, or, you know, Charles Logan. And I guess, um, you know, they were just kind of keeping tabs on on Jack. Yeah, I think so. I almost wonder if it was uh, Chinese. Oh, yeah. Um, so it, it, it's possible. And so I, I, I kind of was wondering that, too, as I was watching that video, because I don't know who it was. Um, but obviously it was someone that was connected somewhere between the Chinese, I believe. And um, because I think it was, uh, quote unquote, coincidental that the Chinese happened to be in Los Angeles the very day that Jack shows back up. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so um, I, I think it was probably the Chinese and they were probably involved in leaking the information to um logan and um the others that he was alive for so they can be able to do this whole setup and i think that was all done to flush him out so that the chinese could get him right oh oh i see right right because the way i thought about it was you know we know that christopher henderson used to be the director of ctu a while back and 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 if he was in charge of i forget what they say in season five i think he was in charge of the the whole trying to frame Jack and and the the assassination uh, on on Palmer, but um, si since he knows CTU, he used to work there. I feel like he or a, 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 a hacker working for him would be able to find something in CTU's archive that Chloe apparently de deleted. But it, it it's interesting to think like if yeah, like you said, had, did the Chinese did uh, Logan's camp flush him out so the Chinese would be able to get him? Or did Logan kind of, through a back channel with one of his guys, kind of actually just deliberately leak the information to the Chinese? Yeah, that could be too. 
So I, I'm, I'm not sure. And so I probably had to watch it a few more and maybe try to see if we can maybe we can get an interview. We're trying to get some interviews with uh, David Fury and some of the others. And so maybe we can get some information about filling some of that information for us. Yes. Some, sometimes I feel like because we, you know, we will eventually see live another day and stuff like that. I, I really wish they would. Um, maybe we should start like a, a fan letter or something like that. I really wish the the writers, whether it's Howard Gordon and David Fury and maybe a couple of the other guys, just get, get together in, in a room and just record a clip, maybe even just 15 or 20 minutes. And it just answers all the stuff that we'll never find out about. Like, who was Nina's um, German employer? Who was the motorcyclist in this clip? Um you know, stuff like that. I, I think that would be, you know, for real diehard 24 fans, which we all are, if you're tuning in to this podcast and following all of Josh and Mark's and Joel's great work, I, I, I really think that that would be really interesting because, you know, or um, what was the price that Wayne Palmer as president paid to get Jack back from the Chinese? All, all this stuff, you know, unfortunately, I think we'll never get answered but hey the writers do make us think yeah they do they tell us just enough so that we can kind of follow what's going on but not to where we know everything that led up to it right right yeah it's definitely uh it's definitely great and and then going going back to uh, just for a couple seconds what you were saying about logan and the chinese um when when we saw the end of season four um and they probably knew it, of course, but it was a foreshadowing of Logan turning into the most evil villain and, and the worst American ever. But we we kind of took that as fans at the time, and it's great how they kind of threw us for a loop. We just kind of took him, you know, doing that like half nod about having that Secret Service agent go to CTU to kill Jack. We just kind of took that as, oh, he's indecisive. He's overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to ruin relate international relations with China. But in actuality, this guy was this, you know, was one of the main architects of all evil doings that are going around. But it was kind of cool how they made him look like just an indecisive kind of, you know, dope, for lack of a better word. Um, and, you know, for and, and, and he is. I mean, you do see later on there's other people they're kind of telling him what to do in season five. And I, I don't want to give too, too much away, but it, it, it was kind of interesting how I, of course, never would have thought Logan in season four turns into what he turns into. I just thought the writers said, Hey, we showed you the best, most honest, most um, hardworking, intelligent president you could have in the show for David Palmer. Let's show the fans the complete opposite. And that is Charles <laughs> Logan. Yeah, there you go. He's he's the negative of he's the Paul. he's the anti Palmer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I I I, I kind of um was was thinking about I was talking about that with Mark about I don't think we got it on the podcast though, uh, but we were talking about Logan and I was or maybe it was even on Twitter and I was throughout the idea that maybe Logan was actually complicit in um the bombing of air force one um and and all that i it's it's all kind of speculation because i i don't know if there's ever enough information to to do that 
But I kind of think that that was kind of the the beginning of uh, his compromises. And so I don't know. I don't think he ever had the full plan of like what led into season five and all that kind of stuff yet. But I think yeah. it was uh, I think he was just a pawn. I don't think he was like a leader per se right. of what was going on. But I think he was probably approached and said, hey, we can help you become president. All you have to do is give us the location or the flight plan or whatever of Air Force One, and we will help get you into the presidency. I, I think that's probably what was happening in the background. And so I think that's probably what happened. And so he was wanting this power. He was wanting this control. And so he gave some information. And then when it actually happened, I think it was just kind of like, wow, this really just happened. And yeah. And so I think that's probably what caused his indecisiveness and all those different things. But I think then as things started to play out, he started to see, hey, this could actually get pulled off. This is looks like it's working. And so that's when you start seeing him start to take more and more control to where by the end of season four, um, he seems to start to be getting kind of in kind of uh, working into that position of president and starting acting more presidential, if you will. And so, yeah. which is a very different picture than we see when he first introduced several episodes before. And then, of course, then we see him in season five and uh, very controlling. And then obviously um, uh, going to the dark side, if you will. Yeah. It, it, going back to your point uh, for a second about how, uh, you know, they, they approached Logan and said, uh, you know, we could put you in this position. you got to help us out. It, it really is amazing to see and think of how far ahead and um, of other seasons that the writers are are thinking about this. I mean, we, we know what happens in season five, and then you find out another person responsible for season five uh, is the guy from season seven. But it's it, 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 it really is amazing where, yeah, you, you could see that meeting between um, – the, the guys uh, that are responsible for season five, you know, with all the Bluetooths in their ear, coming to Logan sometime, maybe even, you know, before season four, like when he just became vice president and maybe, um, you know, talking to Logan, like you said. And, and, and yes, all these terrorists, it does seem like they have an exorbitant amount of money and they're able to buy people, which is how, you know, Habib Marwan was able to buy Mitch Anderson, to um, who is the shooter, to shoot down Air Force One. But for something that secure, I can't think of anything more secure in the country besides Air Force One, besides the White House, to to get that location and the schematics and all that. And I know he was an Air Force pilot, but it does make you think, well, the vice president could very easily get the location and coordinates of where the Air Force One is flying. And yeah, it it definitely makes you think that I I am a firm believer that between season four and five is not when Logan was approached to do all the bad stuff in season five. I definitely think it was uh, before season four. Yeah, so that's what I've started to think as I'm going through it again. I never really had that thought before, but as I was going through it again here the last month or so, um, I, I started getting that thought again. I, I don't know if any of it's true. I don't know if any of it can be proven. Um, it could just yeah, be speculation, and, but I don't know. Yeah. And, 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 and of course, I'm sure some people listening right now, because I, I just thought of it in my mind, they would say, 
Well, the person who shot down Air Force One was hired by Habib Marwan because Marwan needed the nuclear football to launch the the warhead missile. And I think the Bluetooth gang, they, they just kind of saw this as, I'm sure they have, you know, ears and eyes all over the place, that, that they saw this as a very easy opportunity to, oh, wow, this guy is going to do all the work for us. We don't have to hire the people to shoot um, Air Force One down. We don't have to do all that stuff. But we could just use this as now we can get our guy, Charles Logan, into the most powerful position in the country. Because I think it's pretty safe to say the um, the, the the main bad guys from season five, um, they're, you know, mainly um, American, uh, you know, Graham and Christopher Henderson and Charles Logan. I don't think they're working with Habib Marwan. I don't see any of their objectives lining up. Marwan just wanted to, you know, blow up everything in America because he hates America. I, I just I just think it's very interesting where they had an opportunity that kind of fell in their lap. Right. Yeah, just trying to take advantage of it as they as they yeah. saw. And so But yeah, so I mean that that's just kind of what I'm thinking. And so uh, you've already mentioned it too. So I mean, season five starts with a bang, literally. Literally, um, <laughs> and so um, with uh, first of all David Palmer being shot, and so um, and then uh, immediately uh, after that they show the uh, the clip of Tony and Michelle talking to each other and uh, seeing the news about the assassination and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then there, uh, Michelle's wanting to go in the, uh, uh, CTU yeah. to try to give some assistance or whatever, because I mean, it, it's David Palmer. And so, um, and so Tony says, okay, or, and meet up later or whatever. And so, and that's when the car bomb goes off and, um, oh. Michelle dies immediately. And then Tony is injured. Um, and, I, I believe he was on he was unconscious for a while. Um, I can't remember how many hours, but he was unconscious for a while, and so we, and at that point we basically kind of took him for dead. Um, but but it came came a little bit later when he was able to uh, come to and and all that kind of stuff, and then they faked his death later on too. But and then the assassination attempt on or maybe I don't know if it's assassination, but the murder attempt on Chloe. Um, and then she was able to escape, and of course, during that time, that's when Jack's contacted to find out what's going on, and or saying that, "Hey, we we got to do something. Your cover's blown, and we need help being able to take care of the situation." I'm in. I'm being pursued, and yeah. so, um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of great stuff there. Yeah, got a quick question for you. Um, being, um, you know, with the start of season five, now we we just talked about this clip where they met in Chicago. They met in a completely different location, very far from Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, of course, um, you know, secrecy was a huge part of it. What, and uh, I know for the show's reasons, they had to place Jack in California at the start of season five because, you know, they needed him to start writing the plot. But why, why do you think um, Jack was, you know, under that name of Frank Flynn living in um, – in the, I, I forget what part of California it is, but it wasn't too far. I think they said about an hour or so, an hour and a half away from Los uh, Los Angeles. Do you think it was because he he wanted to be near um, 
maybe resources or hideouts or safe houses or um, uh, a gun local, you know, weapons location, a depot that he hit somewhere that he may need. I, I know he had all that stuff, uh, you know, stored in that that how that room he was renting from that woman with the with the son Derek. But uh, what? Why else do you think? Or maybe because it was be near close to Kim. Why do you think if if he has to be presumed dead and 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 hiding and everything you would think the guy would go live in russia or something like that what? why why do you think he was in uh, california if we can you know think about it in realistic terms not just because the show needed him there well i almost think that i mean he wanted to be near uh like you said probably close to uh where he can kind of keep tabs yeah but then also i mean right there near the Cal- uh the mexico border oh right so if something happened he could run and make it he make his way across the border and and then from there he could be able to try to disappear again yeah and so I'll go a little bit further but i think for the time being he was one to try to stay close so he can try to keep tabs um best he could and then um uh and all that and so i, I think that's probably why or at least maybe a, a cover for uh his story as far as that yeah yeah i just think you know uh season five was the first season that I actually watched live. I had watched um, In Order number uh, season one through four on DVD, and um, I I can't think of another season that started so, um, so uh, gripping and intense and exhilarating as, as season five. I mean, not just because, of course, it's the... Uh, probably the second most famous character or third most famous character with David Palmer dying. But I just think that the whole, how every, you know, usually some seasons, you know, it would kind of ramp up in in, in, in episode two when they would kind of start explaining and connecting all the dots for the plot. Or the, in season three, that dead body with all the, the, the um the the symptoms of the the virus would just be dumped on a doorstep and, and then it picks up but they just threw you right into it and then it's like you couldn't even recover and catch your breath from David Palmer's body dropping to the floor but before you see Michelle getting blown up then the second blast knocks out Tony then Jack just in time is able to save Chloe I mean they just kept hitting you yeah no it was very intense. And so it, um, I may mention um, when we're talking about season three, that season three started with um, right into action when they blew up that the door of that building and left the infected body um, oh. there. And so, I mean, and that was just in the first couple of minutes. And so, I mean, boom, you got that action right away. Yeah, um, I, I, but this, I think, tops it so much more. Yeah, you no, no, you're right. I forgot about that blast. And then, um, yeah, I, I guess in season four, the first scene was the train exploding, but I guess my takeaway is compared to the anonymous dead body and a train who you didn't know who was on it, I guess with it being a feigned character, which they've never done before, that that is what, you know, of course made it uh, much more meaningful and profound. Right, yeah. I, yeah, I think you're exactly right on that. And so, I mean, because, I mean, you have uh, two that die and the other two are um come very close and then jack has to come out of hiding all in a very short amount of time and so um it, yeah it's just a lot of stuff happening um right there and of course at the same time that that's happening 
um, CTU is recovering videos from um, from it from a supposed shooter, and it's showing Jack. And so now they're starting to say, "Hey, wait a minute! We thought Jack was dead, and here we see him climbing this building and going and shooting." And so, and so all that's going on at the same time too. And so now he's having to. Uh, face that not just trying to face people and say hey i'm not really dead but face people and say yeah i'm not dead and no i did not do the shooting <laughs> yeah and, and then while also eventually having to um yeah explain to bill and talk to him about not being dead but also could you imagine having to go in front of someone you cared about so much and loved and thought you were going to start a life with her and have to just kind of very quickly speak to Audrey about not being dead anymore. I mean, it's just what this guy has to take in one day. I still can't get over it. Yeah, no, it's it's very intense, very intense. And then his daughter later on. So another time he has to meet with somebody he loves and kind of, you know, and the scene with his daughter is... It, 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 it's the perfect line of dialogue. She doesn't say anything when he walks in the room, and he just says, I don't even know what to say. Because I think that's that would be all of our reactions. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we close here, why don't we go ahead and transition to some of the news that has um, sure. come out. And so there's uh, two of them here um, that we have that's come out here in just the last, uh, at least as we're recording, just here in the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, um, uh, there's one uh, that came out that announced that um, that the show, well, previously we mentioned, we would talk about the fact that it's supposed to be coming out in May. Um, but we got news that that is changed and it's actually going to be coming out in April now. Yeah. And, so, and, and Josh, I am completely. Uh, positively blaming that on, I know that's an oxymoron, but blaming that on us. And I think that with all the, the, the tweeting bombardments and the tweeting blast that all of, um, all of the 24 podcast fans and followers do to Howard Gordon and uh, David Fury and all those guys, I, I, I really do wonder if they see, the response is, of course, so overwhelming. There's this huge fan base. It's all over the world. There's millions of fans. And if they want to take advantage of, you know, I, I'm not that familiar with ratings and how all well that works with television, but um, I, I know the summer is kind of a, a, a quiet time for new TV shows. There's not much stuff that comes out. But I, I, I kind of think that they see this overwhelming response to it and say, oh, let's take advantage and if we can, and, and maybe this is also a indication that the writing and the, the scripts are coming along really well. Oh, let's bump it up one month. Yeah, I kind of think that too. And so I think just the, um, the anticipation is a lot more than what they were expecting. I think they were expecting a good response, but I think it's probably more than what they were expecting and say, hey, we can get this out there. And so, yeah. and, and again, they were probably making maybe better progress than they were anticipating too. And so, of course, they haven't even started shooting yet. Um, but, um, but like you mentioned, I mean, they, they have several scripts already out there, at least preliminary. And so, um, so yeah, and they're lining up um, the, the stars and all that kind of stuff. And so I think just the dynamic of it has changed 
since the last time that they did the season. I mean, with the way social media has grown in the last three, four years, yeah. um, the, just the way that these things are spreading, um, it's just helping to build the anticipation for it a lot more. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I, Josh, if, if you'll allow me, I just want to throw out two Twitter handles that I think all fans and followers should be following if they're not already. Okay. Um, of course, besides uh, After 24 Podcast and uh, on the site is yours and Mark's and Joel's. But I think, of course, at the David Fury, because he, you know, feeds into fans' requests and teases us for news and stuff like that. But I also think what's really cool, it's kind of what we're doing on the podcast with um, what you guys are doing um, verbally. But if you follow one of the main directors, John Kassar, I think it's just at his name, at J-O-N-C-A-S-S-A-R, something like that. He's uh, starting back with season one and watching every episode all the way up until I believe season eight. And he's kind of in just bullet point form. He's just tweeting his, his thoughts about it. And I think that's really, really interesting because on the, on the podcast, we're all talking about it from a fan perspective and a, and a, you know, a listener perspective. Whereas he's doing the same thing, but this is the guy that worked with these actors. He's the director. He worked with the crew. And I think it's, it's really been, it's really been fun to read. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, definitely follow those two. And so it's very interesting being able to see his perspectives on, on that. And so kind of see what the, uh, the director uh, thinks about um, what happened and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And then one more piece of news, right? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and uh, share that one? Sure. Thanks, Josh. Um, as uh, it was funny, it came in perfect timing. Um, as uh, right before uh, you know, we started to record this podcast, I saw on my Twitter timeline a a, a, a tweet by Twenty Four Spoilers. That account is also a great one. You guys should follow. Um, that they uh, tweeted out a link to, I believe it was TVGuide.com. And it was finally announcing after the past 24 to 48 hours of fans trying to guess David Fury's, um, you know, clue of that big, big casting news is coming. It's a two-time Oscar nominee actress, so we knew it was a female. And it finally came out that um, it was this uh, actress named Judy Davis. And uh, what uh, Josh and I talked about before we, we were recording, which I thought was really funny, was Right after I saw that, there was a tweet from David Fury saying, a lot of good guesses, guys, but I'll reveal the official announcement later tonight. And then I, I guess he sees the same article that, that I saw, and then like a minute later he tweets, oh, never mind, I'll just tell you now. <laughs> I yeah. thought that, that was hysterical. But yeah, this Judy Davis, I'm not too familiar with the movie she's been in, but two-time Oscar nominee, that has to be um, what... what what I suggested to, to David Fury on Twitter when we were trying to guess the the um, the actress, I, I kind of said, oh, is it like a John Voight type of um, casting? Because I'm not really sure if he was ever nominated for an Oscar or if he ever won one. But I feel like that level of actor where everybody knows him, he's a big time actor. He brought a real um, uh, kind of great acting prowess to the show. I, I, I kind of thought it was going to be in that vein if David Fury saying it's a big casting news. 
So this Judy Davis has been casted as a woman named Margot, and this article says she is going to be playing a German arms dealer. And I, I'm just going to throw my two cents in on it, and then I'll, uh, of course, uh, want to hear what you think about this, Josh. But the I, I have two points. The first point is I think it's awesome that it's going to be a um, – oh, and the article said she's going to be a recurring villainess which I think is great because we very rarely get a female villain, and especially a main female villain. I know, of course, there was Nina. Um, Sherry was kind of a villain, but, you know, she kind of had the best interests in her, her own twisted mind. But then there was Mandy, who was great. Uh, I just wrote down a couple of others. Uh, Colette Stanger, who you guys will talk about. She was in Season 5. And uh, Cara Bowden, who was the woman working with Tony Almeida in season seven. So they're really, and I'm sure I'm missing something. I would love to uh, hear, if you know, the fans remember uh, any others, but I kind of find it interesting that a, it's going to be a female that they're putting a lot of emphasis in for the villain role. And something I thought about earlier in the podcast, kind of a, a quick thought on the go is, you know how I was talking about having the writers discuss questions that will never get answered. Do you think that this will kind of be possibly a little uh, connection to, remember Nina was employed by uh, somebody German? Do you think there could be any kind of connection? That could be. Yeah. Yeah, she did. And, um, and actually, um, I almost wonder if that, that was the same connection in season three because right. she was representing a buyer. Right. So I wonder if this was the same one. Yeah, but, That's but, another I'm thinking about it. Yeah, they've been teasing it to us, but in all actuality, I mean, Nina's been, I, I don't know the timeline, but in, forget in, in our years, she's been dead for some time. In 24 years, she's probably been dead for decades. I, I know it's, I think the show from season one till now is in 24's universe. It's like 16, 17 years. I, I may be wrong with that. I, I think I know. Yeah, that. something like that. Yeah, that, yeah, it, it, it's somewhere online, but. I, I doubt that they're going to go into that because, I mean, then again, they are in Europe and, you know, it could be, you know, maybe they, sh they, they, they get, they add that little incentive that if there's some kind of connection, don't make it a huge thing. If there's some kind of connection to Nina, they kind of throw it in there or you see this Margot discussing with one of her like henchmen and then Jack eventually finds out and maybe it's, it just, it adds an element of, um, you know, a, a previous season and, and, and kind of ties it into that. And, and it also gives Jack more incentive to really get to the bottom of whatever plot they're hatching. So um, in any event, even if it's not connected to Nina at all, I think it's, it's, it's really, it's going to be great. It's a, a well-known actress. Um, you know, we rarely get female villains. And I, and I think what's really cool is, being international already set in London, there it seems like at least not just this one villain that they're gonna have other you know they're gonna have non UK villains and I I think that's gonna definitely add an interesting twist to it and I wonder if it's with the new format not being 24 hours in a row I wonder if this allows Jack to hop on a plane uh, at at the end of an episode. Uh, in in uh, London, and then you see them two hours later because they're able to do that. 
seeing him land in Munich and chasing down another lead. I think it's going to be completely, you know, different and, and, and awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Some of the things I was reading is that they were going to still keep the 24 or the, the real-time format. It's just going to be 12 hours, but I, I don't know. It could be, could be off in that, too, so I don't know. It'll yeah, be interesting I, either way. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that I read, as recent as this article announcing this Judy Davis casting, I, I'm pretty sure I, I read somewhere. Of course, it's going to be in real time. Where if the episode starts at 5 p.m., it's going to end at 6 p.m. But I'm pretty sure that I read, um, and I, of course, I could be wrong, but I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that I read uh, even Howard Gordon saying that they could skip a couple hours in the day, and I think that's freeing them up from, um, you know, having that constraint of doing. 24 hour straight it, it, it's going to be in, in real time in sense of in the sense of that that episode but i'm pretty sure i read that they're going to they're going to jump around hour to hour if, if they need to huh yeah that could be interesting i'll i guess yes. i'll have to look into that more and see yeah i'll uh, i'll try to find that and maybe I'll, I'll try to forward it on to you or something you could post it on the site okay yeah all right. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up. I think we covered a lot of great stuff here. And so, yeah. Jack, I'm definitely glad for you to take the time to join us. Yeah, Josh, uh, uh, thank you to you and Mark for allowing me to jump on your uh, this uh, this pretty cool thing you created, an international um, podcast now. And, I, and, I, and I'm sure Mark will like if we throw out the hashtag 24 worldwide. I know he's trying to get that trending, but... Once again, thanks for uh, for letting me hop on, and uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you and uh, any other uh, 24 fans on Twitter. Um, if you do want to chat with me, I'm I'm, I'm always uh, open and excited uh, to talk to new 24 fans and about stuff like we talked about today. Could could this new character have a connection to Nina? Where are they taking this plot? And come January, with all the casting, I, we're gonna be getting so much new news that it's going to be you know many more conversations than uh, we're even having now but um you can find me on twitter at uh, z zero l l a um that's my last name but it was taken with the letter o so it's z zero l l a and um i definitely look forward to speaking with everybody once again josh uh, thanks so much i had a blast Yeah, thank you. We definitely appreciate it. And thank you all for listening, too. We'll talk to you later.